we've, we've had a great time, my wife and I, serving the Lord down in Georgia. And Direct Line Ministry, the warehouse is there. We have about a 35,000-square-foot building along with some office space there. And we put the... Uh, we put the um, the containers together there, we, we uh, what we call stage them there, and then we have them, of course, shipped around the world. This year, we've already shipped 10 containers, and we've shipped 2.5 million scriptures around the world. Is this thing on? I said 2.5 million scriptures around the world. Isn't that great? People need the Word of God. And uh, it is just a thrill to be a part of that ministry. It looks like we're going to do about eight more. Last year, we did 12 containers. This year looks like about 18 containers is what we'll do, and uh, we're excited about it. If that's something you're interested in, uh, talk to your pastor, and if that's the Lord's leading you to go into missions, uh, I don't want to steal you from your church, but afterwards I'll talk to you about stealing you from your church, but I don't want to do that in front of your pastor. But we are down in Georgia now, uh, close to Savannah, and uh, how many have ever been to Savannah? Anybody ever been to Savannah? It's very unique, isn't it? Very different place, and, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a hot place. But you all are going to be in the 90s this week, so that's about where we're at all the time. So welcome to Georgia. Hey, I want to commend you on doing a missions conference. There's a lot of churches not doing that anymore. And it really means a lot to missionaries when you love on them. It really does. And so thank you for doing that. I know they'll tell you all that, but I want to thank you for that. And uh, that's a precious, precious thing. And uh, that's good. You got your Bible there? Let's go to the book of Matthew this evening. Matthew chapter number 14. If it's okay with you, uh, can we stand together as we read God's Word together? Matthew chapter 14, and we'll look in verse number 22 of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is where I want to be this evening. And we're going to look at what I would call a familiar miracle in the Word of God. This is the 20th recorded miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, performed. And we're looking in Matthew chapter 14. If you found Matthew chapter 14, would you say amen? Yeah. Verse number 22, the Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I'd like to draw your attention to verse number 29, where the Word of God says that Peter came down out of the boat. With the help of God this evening, if you'll allow me to, I want to preach a message entitled, Get Out of the Boat. 
Get out of the boat. I want you to turn to somebody. Go ahead and turn to somebody. Maybe somebody you like. Maybe somebody you don't like. But turn to somebody and just say, hey, get out of the boat. Go ahead. All right. Good. Now turn to someone else and say, yeah, that's right. Turn to someone else and say, get out of the boat. Now, don't turn around and say, get out of my pew or anything like that. Don't say that. Can we pray together this evening? Our Father, what a Savior we have. And we're blessed to know that we will be in glory land someday. God, while we're upon this earth, while we travel this journey of life, I pray that you'd help us to have great faith in you. Draw us, teach us, help us. I have no doubt in my mind there's some in this room that need this message. You put it on my heart. Uh, even, even this week, as I was thinking about what you'd want me to say in this particular place, and God, I thank you for this church, Pastor, and the work you've done here. And God, I thank you for their love for the Joy Bag Ministry and the love for getting the Word of God out and their help to us. And Father, I do pray that tonight that I would come empty and helpless, that I would come before you. In my heart, I fall before you. I, I've got nothing to offer these dear people. I'm asking you to do something that I cannot do and do the spiritual work in the heart of people. Dear God, if you don't meet with us, this is just a religious gathering. But, oh God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you do what I cannot do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this evening. The Lord Jesus Christ was a mentor to his disciples for about three and a half years while he was here upon the earth. It's fascinating that, that he was a combination of eternity and time, of dirt and deity. He was just like you and me. He was 100% man, and yet he was 100% God. We're not that part, but he was. The Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He who always was became flesh so that he could be with us. And now he can say he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he's experienced Humanity. He's experienced life. For three and a half years, he taught the Lord, the disciples, and sometimes he would teach the disciples sitting down. He would sort of sit them in a classroom, and we know the, the scriptures tell us about the Sermon on the Mount, how he sat and spoke to his disciples, though there were many there. The Bible says he, he spoke to the disciples. And there were times when he would sit in what we call the Olivet Discourse, and times when he would sort of put them in a classroom and teach them. But then there were other times when he took them out in the field, and he would teach them by experience, because how many of you know more things in life are caught than taught? And he's going to teach them something about how you can be calm in the midst of the storm. He's going to teach them so many things in this passage of Scripture. But I want to give this to you this evening as we look in this passage of Scripture. Can I... Just take a few moments here by way of introduction and let me go through this passage just for a moment. Did you notice the word constrained there, the first verse we read? The Bible says that Jesus constrained His disciples to get into the boat. Why would He do that? How many of you have to ever constrain somebody or maybe constrain a child <laughs> or maybe constrain yourself? And uh, so you kind of get the idea what that word means. The Bible says He constrained them. Well, why did He say that? Well... 
What's happening here is the Lord Jesus is uh, just finished. He has just finished feeding the 5,000. And John says it, not Matthew. We have the records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John says that these folks wanted to make him a king. Now, here's why they wanted to make him a king. They wanted to make him a king because of what they saw. They wanted to make him a king because he filled their stomach. And they wanted him to be a genie bottle, an ATM machine. They wanted him because of what they could get out of him. I've been in this long enough, and you have too, that many people just come to church to get something out of God. They treat God superstitiously. Lord, uh, I'm coming to church, so I expect you to keep the tires with full air, and I expect you to make sure the bills are paid, and you take care of the family. We kind of walk on eggshells around God. I'm just going to do everything so I don't make him mad. That's not God. And yet people live that way. And, and uh, that's what they were. They, they listened to this. They, they wanted a stomach God instead of a sovereign God. They wanted a God that could meet their happiness to, to be what they wanted him to be. But that's not what Jesus was doing. And they tried to set him up as king. And, but the Bible tells us that he didn't come. That wasn't his purpose for coming the first time. Now, let me say this to you. He is coming one day as king of kings and lord of lords. I believe what the Bible says. He will sit on David's throne someday in a literal kingdom. But while he's here in this passage, he hasn't come to build that kingdom. For the kingdom of God, he would say, is within you. He's come to buy the spiritual kingdom, to purchase our sinful debt that was to be paid at Calvary so that we could be in heaven with him someday and be in that kingdom someday. But I'm telling you that this wasn't the time. And so the Bible tells us that uh, he constrained his disciples to get in the boat. What's happening here? Well, I believe, you don't have to believe this, but I believe that the disciples had gotten so enthronged with what was going on. I mean, 5,000 people being fed, perhaps plus women and children and others being fed. So multitudes of people being fed by this miracle that Jesus performed. And they got caught up, perhaps, in this idea that Jesus could be the king now. Why wait? And uh, why would you uh, have to go to the cross? And why would you have to do all? Why don't you just become king now? I mean, the Romans are all over our back and the problems of life have come. If you just be king right now. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to bleed and die for the sins of the world. That's why he came. Thank God He came to raise from the dead too. Amen. I say to you this evening that that's why He constrained them. It reminds me of something. Sometimes, watch this now, watch this. Sometimes though the church or God's people can get caught up in wanting to do what the world wants them to do instead of what God wants them to do. Can I say to you this uh, afternoon, I think you, you, you've been here and you've been in church long enough and you've seen that uh, there's a lot of people that want to bring the world into the church. And we're not supposed to be influenced by the world. We're supposed to influence the world, right? Uh, we're to be insulated, not isolated. We know we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But sometimes the philosophy of the world can, can be entertained in our hearts and to the place where we become like the world. May God deliver us from that. When you come to church, you're not going to Disney World. I'm not mad at Mickey. I'm just saying, when you come to church, you don't, you're not going to Universal Studio. When you come to church, you're coming to meet with the Lord. We're coming to meet with God and what His Word says. That's why we do what we do. When we come to church, we pray the Spirit of God speaks to hearts. And, and the disciples, watch this, had to be constrained to get in the boat. 
And I don't want you to be a part of this philosophy of making me king yet. It's not time. Get in the boat. So they get in the boat and the Bible says Jesus calls the multitude and sends them away. I don't know what he said, but, but they're gone. But Jesus goes up into a mountain here, the word of God says, and he's praying. Let me just say this to you. This isn't the message, but it's true. If Jesus saw the need to pray, don't you think we ought to be people of prayer? John R. I. said all of our prayers are, all of our failures are prayer failures. You have not because ye ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall knock and it shall be opened unto you. God's word tells us to pray without ceasing. And so Jesus was a man of prayer and thank God for his testimony. But, but I want you to think about this. John would say this as well. He's not only praying, but he's watching because the disciples are now in a boat and they get out into the, into the sea. And the word of God says a wind becomes, begins to blow against that boat and it's rocking it back and forth. Now, hang on just a minute. These are veteran fishermen. They know how to handle themselves on the ships and these perhaps 18 feet long uh, fishing boats that they'd have. And they knew how to handle themselves. They were professionals, but this is getting bad. The Bible tells us in John's record that they're about three and a half miles away from the shore and Jesus is watching. Now here's what's interesting. When the, when the things got real bad, I want you to see in verse number 25 and in the fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. How many of you know nothing good happens between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m.? Amen. You ought to be in bed, right? Unless you're working or whatever. He says the fourth watch of the night, watch this. The word of God says Jesus went under them, watch this, walking on water. He's walking on the sea, God's word says. And I thought about that. You know, when Jesus came to them, here's, here's the point I want to make. Uh, Jesus came to them in the moment that they needed him. And it was the moment that they needed him the most. Hey, aren't you glad that God comes to his people? Aren't you glad that the Lord comes to us when we need him? I, I, I read this Bible verse and it was so powerful that I memorized it. First Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, that's the indication to tell you if you're in trouble, that's the indication to tell you when Jesus is going to show up. Because he's never going to let you go through something you cannot handle. You say, but preacher, I know somebody went through something and they died. If they were saved, they went to heaven. You lost the argument. <laughs> How many know heaven's better than here? I'm not interested in necessarily, I don't have any dying grace, but I'd like to hear some trumpet sound and say amen right there. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus is now walking on water. I'm just trying to get to the text here. Hang, hang with me now. Stay with me. You've been so kind to listen. Look, the Bible says the disciples saw him. And I want you to see something here. The Bible says they saw him. And when they saw him coming, the word of God says they thought he was a spirit. And uh, they're crying out in fear. Do you know why they were crying out in fear? Watch this now. Because they were looking through the lens of fear. They had been toiling all night and they, you all look so much better right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, uh, you, and they had been toiling and they'd been struggling. They'd been battling and they had the lens of fear on it. So here Jesus comes walking up to them. And instead of looking at this by faith and saying, there's our Savior, there's the Lord. They, they had fear in their heart. I wonder sometimes as we live this life, if, if uh, we, we say, God, I, I, I want you to do something. And we get so afraid of what, uh, of what might happen. The, think about this. Help me with this verse. God's not given us a spirit of Fear, but of 
power and of love and of a sound mind. God gave you that. He didn't give you the spirit of fear. So let's trust the Lord. Amen. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, God's word says. And notice the Bible says here in verse number 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, be of good cheer, it is I. Now, I'm not mad at these disciples and I'm just showing you something here. But, you know, if somebody comes walking on the water and I see it, you better be God or I'm leaving. Say amen right there. I'm not interested at all. Right. How about you? I mean, this is a pretty big deal that somebody's walking on water. See, I, you're not smiling at me. You're not getting it. See, we've heard this story so many times. But you see, there's a who walks on water? Only one. Actually, two. We'll get to him in just a moment. Don't get ahead of me. I want you to see what happens here. He comes walking on the water. And notice what Peter says. Peter answered. Isn't it interesting when you read about Peter? The Bible always says Peter answered. <laughs> Peter always answered, but no one ever gave him a question. You ever met anybody like that? <laughs> and uh, so Peter answered, Lord, if it's you... I want to get to something pretty serious here. Watch this. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. You know, I I don't think Peter was being a smart aleck here. I don't think he was doing that. Here's what I think. I think Peter really wanted to be able to do what Jesus was doing. Uh, Think about it. Could you say it like this? Lord, if it be you, he said, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Could it have been that he was saying, Lord, let me do something so amazing that the whole world would say only God could do that. Oh, Lord, let me do something that makes me come so close to you that I feel your hand in my life. Lord, can I be like you? I wonder if that's really what he's asking. Lord, if, it, if it's really you, let me come and be where you're at. When's the last time in your heart you were, you were so desperate for the touch of God in your life? I'm not talking about coming to church and getting goosebumps every once in a while. I'm talking about that you were hungry for God to work in your life in such a way that you say, I know On the job, His presence is with me. While I drive, His presence is with me. While I'm at Walmart, His presence is with me. How many know you need God's presence at Walmart? Say amen. (laughs) I better be careful what I say here. You don't know me well enough for me to kid around with you. But I want to tell you this. I'm hungry. Peter's hungry to, to get out of the boat. And let's get, to, that's what I want to get to tonight, just for a few more minutes here, to get out of the boat. Now watch this. If you're going to get out of the boat, and by the way, what do I mean by that? I mean that you believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ever ask or think. That God did not put you upon this earth to mark time, but He gave His will for your life. He has something for you to do. He wants you to step right in and do His will. And there's so much more that God wants to do with you. Aren't you hungry for that? Instead of just sitting in a pew and never really seeing God do anything. Never inviting someone to church. Never seeing a friend get saved. I don't want that anymore. I want God to work in such a way. Some of you old timers know exactly what I mean. And God help us young people, I say us, but you young people, to get a hunger for real Christianity. That's more than this soft stuff with lights and fog and kumbaya and phony religion. God delivers from that. I'm talking about people who get their Bible out and say, whatever this says is what I'm going to do for the remainder of my days. Don't you believe He's able? 
Don't you believe God still has power? Don't you believe God can still touch a Sunday school class or touch a Sunday school bus route? Don't you believe that God can still do great and mighty things? I know we're living in a day of apostasy, apostasy, but don't you tell me there's a God who's abandoned us. I don't believe that. I still believe that God can do something great in the lives of people. Absolutely. I wish I had the freedom. I may tell you, I don't have a lot of time to tell you. I may tell you a story about my, my brother. I may tell you about that in just a moment. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. If you're going to get out of the boat and be more than just the status quo, be more than just the average Christian, here's the first thing you're going to have to do. Write it down, my friends. Here it is. Ready? You're going to have to, watch this, you're going to have to become uncomfortable with the boat that you're in. You're going to have to get to the place where you say, the boat is okay, but I'm not satisfied in this boat anymore. You're going to have to get to the place where you realize that God has so much more for you. You're just standing there watching the sea and watching the the mountains on the sides of the shore there when God wants you to, to be a part of something great and mighty that only He can get the glory out of. When God begins to speak to your heart about this missions conference and you fill out your card, I want to ask you a question. Are you going to stay in the boat? Or are you going to say, Lord, I'll step out because I'm not comfortable anymore not seeing you do great and mighty things. Hey, I still believe the God who said, let there be light is the same God that can put dollars in your pocket when you need them. I believe the same God that calls a donkey to talk. Come on now. I know he, do, he does that all. How many of you I better stop. How many of you have seen a few donkeys talk? Say amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the God that can feed 5,000, the God that can raise the dead, the God that can open up blinded eyes is the same God that I serve. He hasn't changed. And uh, I know that He will perform His miracles according to His will and He will get the glory out of it. But I still believe in that same God. And I say to you this evening, if you're going to get out of the boat, you're going to have to be uncomfortable. Uh, You know, sometimes in those boats, the the wood would dry up and there would be splinters in those boats. And when you sit down, yeah. I pastored in Radcliffe, Kentucky, and the church is doing really well. They have a new pastor there. I'm so happy for him. I'm friends with him, and and, uh, I'm so happy for them. It's been many years. I think I'm almost seven years removed from there, but I, but I, while I was there, uh, they had old pews, and not not old pews. They had old pews. These things came in over over on the ark. These are old pews. They made the pews out of Noah's ark's wood. They were old, and and so they. And, and they started falling apart. And I started hinting around to the people. You know how preachers do. I started hinting around to the people. Hey, we probably need some new pews. Oh, no, 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 no new pews. My granddaddy sat on that pew. No, 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 no new pews, whatever. Anyway, so they, Elvis Presley came to church and sat on that pew, whatever. I mean, good grief. Come on. He signed it, you know, and everything, whatever. Okay, so he didn't, by the way. I'm just making that part up. He didn't sign it, but he did come. <laughs> anyway, I'm kidding. But the point is, those pews were so bad. Watch this now. They began to break up. And, and some, of the, some of the splinters would come up through. And some of my ladies, they would come to me and they'd say, Preacher, we need to think about getting new pews. I'd say, well, we'll pray about it. In my mind, I'm saying, no, it's not time yet. Because the people who are influential in the church haven't come to me yet. <laughs> Ah, that's preacher talk. So I, I, I said, no, it ain't time yet. I can remember one guy came to me. He said, oh, well, I'm going to fix these pews for you, preacher. I said, no, you're not. He said, people are getting hurt. I said, that's, exactly, that's the point. Say amen, no pun intended. That's the point. 
because I want them to get miserable to the place where they said, Preacher, we got to get some new pews. You know what? I left. They never got new pews. As soon as I left, they got rid of the pews and got chairs. What in the world? Still a little bitter about that. But you know what? I, I, I learned something. I learned people get to moving around when things get pokey. That's not a word, but you get the idea. Maybe it is a word. We ought to put that somewhere, pokey. Maybe God's poking on you. You know, you think I'm being silly, but I'm, I'm being silly to keep your attention. But I'm dead serious. Some of us are just too comfortable in our Christian life. If God were to move, we're like the little boy who was uh, in his bedroom and uh, he was scared to death. He said, Mama, can you leave the light on? And uh, she said, no, I can't leave. The, no, no, just go on to bed. He said, Mom, you got to leave the light on. And he began to cry, please, Mom, leave the light on. I want to be able to see. I'm scared in the dark. <laughs> and his mom said, listen, I'm going to turn the light out. You pray. God's right there with you. So the little boy got back in the bed. Mama turned the light out, put the covers over his head. He said, dear God, I know you're here, but please don't move. You'll scare me to death. <laughs> and I'm afraid. That's the way a lot of Christians have become in their life. God, don't you move now. Don't you stir me. Don't you ask me to do something more than just warm a pew. Don't ask me to do any more than be a, a bench warmer. You, if you want to get out of the boat, you can stay in the boat. Yes, and the majority will. But if you, God is touching your heart, you've got to be uncomfortable with your surrounding. Number two, let me say this to you. Not only do you have to become uncomfortable or dissatisfied, with the comfort of the boat. But you're going to watch this now. You're going to have to ignore the opinions of everybody else in the boat. Now, this isn't in the Bible, so let me use an, uh, my unsanctified imagination. Can you imagine as Peter is stepping... Watch this. Can you imagine as Peter's stepping out of the boat? Can you hear Thomas say, What are you going to... You're going to drown. Get back in the boat. Right? Can you hear... Uh, John, he was the soft one. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to talk bad about you. But John, can you imagine? Oh, this isn't going to turn out good. He's going to drown. Bartholomew, Nathaniel, all of them in the boat. Let me tell you, if you're ever going to step out of the boat, you're going to have to ignore the opinions of everybody else. It's a crowd that says, oh, there he goes again, leading us into something new. He's always got something going on. There he goes, leading us into something a little bit harder. There he goes, trying to be like Jesus. Yeah, because Jesus was walking on the water. Are you all with me? Is this a little deeper than you want to go tonight? <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. Our world is dying. And we need people to get out of the boat and say, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to do something that only God can get the glory for doing. Would you hear this now? There were, there were 12 people there, actually 13. Jesus and Peter were the only two that were on the water. Wow. Where are you tonight? You're here tonight. I know you are because I was like you. You're hungry in your heart. Right now, your, your heart beats a little bit faster and your palms are a little bit sweaty because God's called you and you know it. And you're afraid, you're scared to death because the people around you, they have an opinion about what you should do with your life. And the people that you work with have an opinion about what you should do with your life. And the people that go to school with you have an opinion about what you do with your life. Let me tell you something. When you meet God, you will not meet them and God will not say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was their opinion. You're excused. That's not God. I say to you, you have to ignore the opinions of everybody else in the comfortable boat. One more thing, let me tell you this. You've been so gracious to listen. Thank you. These are just things I've been thinking about. 
Ready? Watch this. If you're going to get out of the boat, if you're going to do something great for God more than you could ever imagine, by the way, it's God who works in you both the will and do of His good pleasure. It's Him working through you. We don't have anything in us. He'll work through us. Amen? We're just the earthen vessel. We have a treasure. It's Christ, but we're just the earthen vessel. May I say to you, if you're going to get out of the boat and you're going to do what God wants you to do, you're going to have to leave behind, watch this, all man-made provisions that keep you afloat. (laughs) Sometimes I like my own preaching. I can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help it. I know. Some of you love me and some of you hate me. I'm not trying to cause trouble. But I'll tell you, when I thought about that, I thought, how many times have I trusted in man? You see, your job is not the source. Watch me now. It's a resource. I would do this. I'd go to the mission field. I'd preach the word. I'd do whatever God wants me to do. But I have to do this first. No, what you have to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You have an excuse, but I have a Bible verse. There's a difference. And they trusted in a man-made boat to get them around. And you and I, sometimes we trust in resources and we think they're the source. But I'm going to tell you who the source is. It's the one who hung the stars in space. The one who has all power in his hands. The one who spoke the worlds into existence. My friend, you can't beat that. A man-made boat will never substitute for God Almighty. And you've had to say, look, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. My wife and I, we first, when we sold our house, we left that church. We sold our house. And I lived with my mother-in-law for a year on deputation. You know I was dedicated. Say amen. <laughs> ah, she's a sweet lady. We, I love her. She's uh, <laughs> I better not tell that story. But, uh, uh, but we, we lived there for about a year. We thought we were going to sell our house just immediately. It was in a nice neighborhood. wasn't the best of houses, but it was a great neighborhood. People would buy the neighborhood, you know, fix it up, whatever. And I thought that was what was going to happen. In fact, I may have come here during that time. I'm not sure, but the house was, wouldn't sell. For months, it wouldn't sell. And uh, so I had no income. I said, we're going out full-time deputation. I'm living with my mother-in-law. If we're ever going to do it, we're going to do it now. We better get going. And the, and the, and the housing market crashed over there. Everywhere too, but it crashed there, especially on North Lorraine and Radcliffe. It crashed right there. And man, we could not sell that house. We were going up to a church in Louisville, Kentucky. And my wife were going from London, Kentucky to Louisville, Kentucky to go be at a meeting that night. I got in the car that night expecting to preach because preachers like to preach. So I thought, you know, the pastor had already set up. I was going to preach. I was like, all right, I'm going to preach. I'm excited. And I was going to give them, in, you know, introduce the direct line ministry and what we're doing, what we're trying to do. And I had just gotten started. And I mean, I was excited. It's a good church. I was friends with them. And I went up there, Shawnee Baptist Church, back when Dave was there. And I, I, <laughs> I went up there. And while we're driving, my wife said to me, she said, now listen to these words. And she's a sweet lady. Most, she's a sweet lady. And uh, <laughs> she said, but she's honest. And here's what she said. She said, you know, she said, the mortgage is due this week. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. She said, "Uh, you know we don't have the money, right? I said, yeah, I know. And she got real quiet. We're driving about a mile later. She goes, you know I'm with you, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I know. 
you didn't catch what she meant, but I know because I've been married to her long enough. What she meant was, you're going to drown us both in this big problem. That's what I know she said. We're both going to lose our credit. And we're, we're not, we have great credit. You're going to lose it all. We won't be able to make this mortgage. And we're going to drown. You put me out here, made me live with my mother. And my mother-in-law, her mother, you, you've done all this. The house that we had, had was this big. Now it's the, the house we're living in is that big. I went on deputation just to get out of the house. Say amen right there. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, so, I, so, so I, I said, God will take care of it. But in my heart, I was, I was driving. And God, I said, God will take care of it. And in my heart, I was going, oh, God, if you don't come through, <laughs> we're going to drown. And uh, so we got there. And that night, uh, Brother Moon came up to me, a good friend of mine. Brother Moon came up to me and said, hey, hey, I want you to know, Pastor said you're not preaching tonight. He's been out of town. He wants to preach. Well, right there, I'm already bothered. Forgive me, I'm carnal, but preachers want to preach. And so I, I was like, okay, whatever. So he says, so Brother Dave goes, he, Brother Green, come up here. We were friends. I knew him. and Go up here. So I went up to the front, and he says, what do you need right now? I said, well, I need support. And he said, all right, good. He said, what else do you need? And I him hauled and, you know, most times I didn't know that they were going to ask that kind of stuff. When I pastored the missionaries, I didn't really ask them questions. I just figured they knew what they were doing. <laughs> and so I, I came up with an answer. And uh, he said, all right. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, we're going to pray about supporting you. And then he sat down, and, or I sat down, and he preached the message. And, and after he preached the message, I said, okay, God, I know why I didn't preach. And I know why you preached him. Because the message that he gave is one of those messages that you never forget. And I knew God was in that. And I said, they needed to hear what he had to say, not what I had to say. And so I was a little bit convicted about that, feeling a little bit bad. I'm getting somewhere. Hang on. And so at the end of the service, Brother Delaney says, now we're going to take up an offering. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give Brother Green a hand offering or whatever. They call, I don't know what to call it, but basically just cash. And I said, oh, man, I don't know if they like me. You know, if they don't like me, it's 50 cents. I don't even have money for a cheeseburger. This is not good. And we were just barely into this thing. And, uh, and no salary, no nothing, no, no bank account, all of it. So, he, so they did. And, and so I was standing in the back, and here they come. And they, they just started putting money in my, my hand. And I started putting it in my pocket. I didn't know what else to do. I was putting it in my pocket. Folks, I walked out of that church like this. Now you might say, wow, I want to get into ministry because they pay money. which being interpreted as you're crazy. <laughs> and uh, so I walked out like that. And uh, I, gra- I handed it to my wife. I said, we were in the parking lot. I said, count that money. She said, honey, wait at least until we get out of the parking lot. I said, I'm showing my carnal side. I said, all right, we'll wait till we get out of the parking lot. We, ba-boom, got out of the parking lot. I said, count that money. She started counting money. There's a light there on Bank Street. We stopped at the light. She's counting. Now here's what I want to get to. My mortgage was... If I tell you this, you're already going to know the story. My mortgage was $700. That's not much to some of you rich people. But that was a lot to me. I didn't have any money. It might, have been, it might as well have been $10,000. I didn't have any money. And so my wife's counting. And she's counting. I'm listening to her count. And, and where she's counting. And all of a sudden, I heard her say 690, 691, 692, 698, 699. $700. And it was like God said to me, excuse me, 
If, if this is disrespectful, I don't mean to be. But it was as if God winked at me and said, I got this. I told you to do, do this and I'm going to take care of you. Now God's blessed us so much more than that. But, but I needed, that was the moment when I said, God, I'll step out of the boat. But if you don't help me, I'm going to drown. And God said, I got this. I got this. I got this. That's a mighty God. I think I'll serve that God. He promised that He's touched with the feelings of my infirmities. He promised me that He would take care of me, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. What a Savior, amen. But you got to get out of the boat. You got to get out. You got to get out of the boat. Aren't you tired of not having your prayers answered? Okay, can I tell you one? I got to tell you one more story. Forgive me. Forgive me. Let me tell you one more story. Three or four weeks ago, I was sitting in the office, and and Brother Lopez from uh, Guatemala. He's from uh, Brother John Wilkerson's church up in Hammond. He calls me. I've been friends with him for a long time. And he said, hey, brother, we need, I'm starting another church here in Guatemala. They've started, I think, 10 churches. He said, I, I need scriptures. I said, well, I'll, I'll pray about it. He said, oh, by the way, keep, pray about this. He said, my friend in Honduras, he's got a little Bible college doing really well. But they're so poor, he said, they, they need scriptures too. They just don't have them. I said, does anybody speak English there? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. His assistant speaks English. I said, that's good. Now, that's important because I don't speak Spanish. And so logistically, this would be a great thing if someone spoke English. And so he call, I called him or he called me. I told him to give him a call. He says, brother, we need, we need Bibles. We're starting churches in this part of Honduras. We've got to get some scriptures. We need the word of God. There's, you know, it's so poverty stricken. If you've ever been in some of these places, you know what I mean. It's just so poor. And, uh, and, and then another guy, he emails me uh, from Zambia. He says, hey, brother, I need some scriptures and I'd like to get a container of scriptures if possible. And uh, he said, I'm connected with this church in West Virginia. Uh, and uh, so uh, I called the pastor. I said, hey, is this guy legit? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I spent several days with the guy. He's out soul winning. He's starting churches. He's got he's training nationals. He's he they're just, you know, a lot of poverty. They don't have scriptures. They they need scriptures. I, I, I back him up. I said, all right. I said, by faith. We'll get all three of them. And we're talking about three containers of scriptures. 30,000 pounds apiece, something like that. 35,000 pounds. I called my pastor. They print Bibles in Tennessee. I said, now, before you say no, let me ask you a question. <laughs> let me tell you what I need. And we began to talk. He said to me, he said, well, give me just a few minutes. He called me back in a few minutes and said, we'll go ahead and do all three of them. Is this thing on? Hey, they, they, they gave that to us. Say amen something. That's a lot of scriptures. Well, that's not the end of it. <laughs> I had to invoke my wife again. She said to me, she said, how are you going to ship those things? She said, how much do you think it costs? She helps me in the office. I said, uh, about $20,000. She goes, how are you going to pay for that? I said, I don't know. God's got it. But in my heart, I was going, please, God, please. And we walked away. A man called me. About a week later, he said, what do you need? I love it when they say that. I said, I need $20,000. He went, <laughs> he said, tell me about it. I began to tell him about it. He said, let me, let me, let me think about this. I, I didn't know what he was doing. I figured he'd do one container, maybe. But uh, he, he tell, he, I got the text on my phone. He, he texted me. He said, we want to do all three containers. Amen. Amen. <laughs> We're just, watch this, tributaries, that's it. We're conduits. God gives and expects us to take care of it. Do you, look, 
Can I tell you something? I'm closing my Bible. You know what that means in a Baptist church, right? It means nothing. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. This is the last statement. You know, please listen to this. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. I'm telling you, I have prayed. Listen to this. I have prayed a thousand prayers and God didn't answer them. But I have seen when I pray in God's work that God's work will get done. I've seen God do it over and over and over and over. Here's what that tells me. That tells me that most of my prayers aren't really that important. That I can live without what I think I need. But when God's involved, He takes care of His business. Amen? That's the God I serve. I say, church, precious church, wonderful church, thank you for listening. Get out of the boat tonight. Father, I thank you for your love for us. And God, I know you're calling some man, some lady, somebody in this room, a teenager, an older person, a younger person, somebody, you're calling them. And I know it. I know that moment when you spoke to me. And I remember the day when my heart pounded out of my chest and my hands were sweaty and my knees were knocking. And I knew you were calling. And God, I know you're calling people. I know you're working. It may be to stay here and do a great work and help preacher all the way. I don't know. But I know this. If we don't get out of the boat, if we don't do what Peter did, if we don't say, Lord, let me be like you, let me be a part of your work, we're never going to get out of the boat. God, speak to every heart. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment. I'm going to turn it over to preacher. But here's the question. If you're here tonight and you know Jesus as your Savior, would you lift your hand and just say amen tonight? Isn't it good to be saved? Say amen. It's good to be saved. Thank you. Put your hands down. Perhaps you couldn't raise your hand. I don't want to trick you, trap you. I don't know your name, but I won't embarrass you. You have my word. All I want to do is pray for you. You'd say, preacher, I'm in this room tonight and I do not know that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up and just put it back down? I won't embarrass you. You have my word. Anybody in the room, pray for me, preacher. Pray for me. All right, here's another question. How many say, preacher, while you were preaching, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know God's voice is speaking to my heart. Not, Not audibly, but in my heart. I know He wants me to get out of the boat. I know God is calling me. I don't know what it might be, but I need to surrender to Him. You'd say, I felt that tug on my heart tonight. Would you lift your hand, hold it high? Come on. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. Good, good. You know what you ought to do tonight? I don't know how you do it here, but if if preacher allows, you ought to find a place here and pray and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Make it uncomfortable just so that I can get in your will because your will is more important than anything. Tonight, Yield to Him. What a wonderful Savior we have. He's worthy of all of our efforts. And your labor will never be in vain. Amen.